Hello and welcome to Running on Joy with Francesca Goodwin, the podcast that celebrates putting one foot in front of the other in whatever form that takes. This is a podcast that explores how we can live in a more connected, creative and compassionate manner for the benefit of our communities, our planet and our own mental and physical health. I'm your host, Francesca Goodwin, and every week I'll be asking a new interviewee what joy means to them. Running on Joy is ad-free, but if you enjoy the show, please do take a moment to leave a review and give feedback wherever you listen to your podcasts. You might also consider supporting the work of Running on Joy guest Dan Lawson through rubbish shoes and rerun clothing to end the cycle of wastage in the sports clothing and footwear industries. Follow at Rubbish Shoes and at Rerun.Clothing on Instagram for further information. Hello everyone and happy weekend. We're recording this on a Saturday. Um, My guest today is really part of a team who put their best hooves as well as feet forwards. They've just returned from a 2,800 kilometre trip across Europe, travelling from Italy to Spain on horseback to raise money for Ukrainian refugees. I'm so excited to dive into learning about this journey, so I'll move straight into inviting them to introduce themselves in the manner of their choosing. Hi, Francesca. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Louis. I'm the uh, founder of the Big Hoof uh, Charity. Um, and at the moment, that takes over almost all my time. So I think that's what I am now. But uh, other than that, I'm, I'm also an actor and a writer. Amazing. Thank you so much for, for coming on my podcast, Louis. It's really, yeah. really good to connect. Um, so although this latest trip, seems like it might have been your most challenging it also feels like a step on a journey that started many miles before and still has many miles to go so can you take me right back to the beginning and your relationship with horses and riding yeah it's um it I had uh I'm from Scotland and live in a little farm just north of Edinburgh and some um ponies when I was younger nothing serious I wasn't very good and I was given this pony who was really badly behaved called Chunky um, and I really liked him because he was really fast and disobedient I quite liked the challenge and then it, and then life happens you're at school and the university and then a friend of mine got very ill um, mentally very unwell and um, me and another friend thought okay let's take him to uh, to Mongolia because we'd been reading about this wonderful tribe well, the Zatan tribe who work with horses and reindeer to help um, basically, a, a mental therapy, and we thought this might be a very interesting for us to, thing for us to do. And we went out there, and we bought four horses. They took us to the tribe. Our horses were stolen by some thieves. We got the horses back, and the horses, bit by bit, day by day, they just transformed us. But they also just brought this my friend kind of back down to a a reality that had been taken away by just growing, getting older, and and city and fast life and expectations of a young man um and that changed my outset on horses i came back to the uk and um soon after that the lockdown happened for we all remember of 2020 and um a friend of mine died of cystic fibrosis just before it and then i got very frustrated thinking um 
there'll be so many people behind closed doors and unable to leave the house because of underlying illnesses. And, and I'm here, you know, with four working limbs, a healthy enough uh, mind and body, and I need to do something. Um, so I thought, okay, I'd spread some awareness, spread some kind of positive message in a big scale. And then I hired a Highland Connemara pony called Alanda. Um, and we went from Johnny Goats to Land's End on, on our, on, uh, alone, unsupported. And we managed to raise some money for the Cystic Vibrators Trust in memory of my friend, but also managed to kind of connect a lot of people who really wanted some kind of hope, I think, in that really um, difficult time for, 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 for lots of people. And I realized, I think it's about somewhere after day one, that this really wasn't a journey. Um, this really wasn't my journey. This was a journey made and kind of fueled by every single person it touched. And um, it was but just sheerly by the, the happiness and the, the, the energy that, that this horse and this travel, way of travel, um, created in people I thought this really was something positive and this really is maybe quite important in a time where we're kind of lacking a community and a communication with each other on a really basic level and globalisation makes everyone feel internationally connected but actually locally very disconnected I would suggest and also then where do you sort of sit with your own self on this little bit of land that you live on and, and how does that connect you with where you've come from and the horse is, is such a primitive, ancient animal. You know, we've been in a relationship using it and, and through war, through art, through dance, through um, toil, through everything, um, from eating it to then giving it emperor status uh, for five and a half thousand years. And it's, it's actually the thing that brought us to where we are now. And it's also a way, though, you know, of, of breaking through barriers. You know, horses see your emotions. They mirror your emotions. There's no hiding with them. They you have to open yourself up to actually connect with it like we have to do with other people, but it kind of allows an easy way in for us, for, for, for me, sorry, to, to um, connect with people. And, and, and yeah, so from that kind of background from it, I, I see them as, as really um, strong, uniting and healing animals. Um, and also, as I learned recently, very good companions as well. That's so beautiful and you've packed a lot in there and I really like the way that you describe that as a kind of it's like a human companion in a way that you sort of have that symbiosis with the horse but also it's quite a kind of creative relationship in a way as well <laughs> I felt like that was kind of echoing aspects of your personality too am I right there um yeah it's it's uh it's nothing is uh, ever ever predictable or or uh, normal on a, on a on a when it comes to uh, well when it comes to these long journeys, but also when it comes to this um, this animal, the horse, because they are capable of so much and and so much we don't know, and so much we, we are so scared to to try because um, the usual you know um, attitude with horses, especially in the UK, is you know, keep them in the stables. You know, you, you ride X amount of hours around a little arena, which is, you know, cordoned off by a wooden fence, and or you go out a little bit on the bridle path and you come back in, that's it. You know, that's um, a horse is, is, a, is a nomadic animal. They, they, they move and they travel just like we once did. Um, and that's their natural place to be. So if you kind of open them up to that, then suddenly they become these, you know, sort of, they, these ancient, wise creatures that they are. 
Um, but like anything, the more you domesticate it, the more you confine it to to what you want it to be, and which is fine. But actually, they are extraordinary animals that we can learn a lot off, and that's when it becomes fun because you you can end up to yeah, like you say, becoming very creative with what you do, where you go, and um, and if you start seeing it as something that you know is going to grow and grow and grow with you, the more experiences you share and give it, then suddenly it becomes like this sort of limitless companion that is just only going to make you and whatever else it touches and, and meets, um, you know, that little bit more enlightened, I guess. Yeah. And I guess what you're touching on there is kind of an idea of humility as well to an animal companion. And I think so much nowadays we, we can be quite egocentric and when <laughs> during the pandemic, everyone kind of locked into their own little bubbles, what I'm hearing actually that's sort of that humility that you have with learning from a, a creature as well that can then teach others as well that's a really amazing place to come from in order to to connect with people I guess yeah it's, it was the I think it must have been a lot of it stemmed from the Mongolia trip I mentioned it was just realizing this animal's helping us we're not you know it's dominant it's in a way for want of a better word it was it was dominating our happiness it was you know it was making us more fueled and 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 sort of making us um trained as it were to, to cope with life as opposed to the other way around and because I because you spend so much time with it you see the world from its eyes and see it from that level um, and and you share everything so it's there's no yeah there's no kind of in superiority inferiority situation you're just both of you because also on a long journey you're, everything you're, you experience is new like the horses so you're, you're, you're on the same level um which allows, yeah, which 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 allows you to to be a lot more free in, in the way you kind of um, operate with it as well. And on that first ride from John O'Groats to Land's End, which is it's epic in itself <laughs> um, as as a first venture. Um, how did you? Was it your own horse that you used then? How did you go about building a relationship with the horse that you travelled with? Yeah, so I tried to. Um, I, I, I I needed to because well, I, I I was working in the high park stables as as a as my bread and butter, but um, that closed for like everyone, lots of people's jobs did. So then I started working in a lettuce farm in East Scotland to get some money to hopefully buy a horse or loan a horse. I don't really know. I just looked on the internet and just asked around because we didn't have any more ponies anymore. And um, and then I I called up a guy in in Canusi in here in Vaness in Scotland who uh, is a lovely guy who has lots of Highlands ponies which are obviously native to scotland so they're perfect made them native to the uk so perfect for uh, being able to survive off the natural resources that we actually have on the, the land as opposed to extra feed etc and he took a punt and said okay I'll, I'll loan you one of my ponies uh, because i he believed in my story so um so yeah i was very very grateful to him and and now she's back where with her herd and she only lives about an hour from me i can see her up the when i drive up the a9 um and uh and yeah, she, for, luckily for me, she still recognises me, um, but it's probably quite wary. Is she probably associates me associates me with a very long journey. So. <laughs> oh no, he's going to make me do it again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, stay away. And what were what were the challenges that you faced on that first journey? Because that I'm assuming was that like the longest that you've ever ridden for as well. Yeah, yeah, by yeah, it was by a long way, um, the longest I'd ever done, and. Um, I think Scotland is, is is the North Scotland's very dangerous place to be riding a horse just because of the. I mean, I, I'd heard about it. I never really believed. It. I thought, what do they mean when they say 
bogs and sinkholes, but they're, they're very real threats, you know. And and if you we fell in one after day two, and um, we went for the we she was submerged up to her neck, and um, and then I fell off, and there was actually someone riding with me that day, and she fell off and got kicked in the head, and and it's um, and then we fell into a bog soon after that, and you know they, they all just take you down. Um, Fortunately, Highlands, again, because they're native to the UK, they're very good at spotting and sensing when there's going to be a bog or sinkhole. Um, that was Scotland. And then there's always drivers and tra- traffic. Um, but again, if you, you know, if you kind of know, start kind of working out, you know, it's a safe way to, to operate, then, then it's fine. And, and I think the UK was, was great. I mean, it's, it's not exactly the Wild West. You know, there's people wanting to help. There's people wanting to offer their anything they can so it was I was actually just blown away by the extraordinary kindness and generosity of of strangers uh, especially in a time when you were told to stay away from people people were just literally wanting to open up they just needed an, an excuse I think and I yeah it was it was it was it was um very um it stilled a lot of hope in me in in kind of renewed faith in um in this country and and and, and the, the person, the your fellow person, because the gentleman just was so willing to uh, take you in, take us in. I mean, it sounds it sort of puts me very much in mind of the Canterbury Tales as well, I guess. <laughs> and I, I'm going to come on to kind of talking about the notion of of pilgrimage. But what did community kind of mean to you on that journey? Was that the kind of thing, the sort of linchpin that got you through it? Yeah, in my head, I envisaged. Um, as she was planning the trip from this room I'm speaking to you now from I, I envisaged a very solitary journey it was going to be very difficult I was going to get very tired I was going to be shouted out by angry farmers and mm-hmm. people were going to there's angry truck drivers and all the rest of it and then and then as I said from the end of day one I realised this is just I'm not going to be alone at all there's going to be strangers every single day which I obviously need to be speaking to to spread the word about the charity I was raising money for but also to to connect with them and, and sure enough, you'll suddenly find yourself interlinked in so many different communities and someone says, oh, well, you're, well, tomorrow night you must stay with my cousin or because I'm a vet, you'll stay with this vet or because I'm a farrier, you stay with them or because I'm a um, I'm a um, doctor, I know a few other doctors down the road and, and suddenly, or I'm a carriage driver or rider, whatever, there's so many communities that I suddenly was sort of passed down on like a little parcel um, <laughs> and um, tied up in lots of binder twine and um, <laughs> and um, it, it, it's like you're opening doors to like a, a hidden village that was always there but you know but no one sort of has the time to just open it open up all those doors and make the, make the links and one of the people who um, well sorry the man who, who lent me the pony he said it was one of the greatest experiences for him because he reconnected with all these old friends in Scotland that he hadn't seen and heard from in years and obviously very remote places and they obviously then all connected themselves and and, and you know suddenly you've got this huge kind of trail of of uh, rekindling um and and you're so and it's just it was just a real ple- a pleasure to be you know a part of that that's amazing. And did you find that your relationship with the land changed as well on on the journey? Yeah, it's great um, pace it, um, going at the pace of a of a horse because it's never too it's never too uh, you never get used to anything. Um, um, but then it's it's never too it's never too short that you miss anything. 
and and you can just see um, counties and, and the shapes of places and, and architecture change as you are going. And usually, you know, after one or two days, you've gone, you would have gone through a county. So it's a perfect kind of time to absorb it. And then, but then also to really um, sense, sense it in that moment. And um, that was, yeah, I mean, you, and you go from extraordinary, like shocking, shocking beauty in, in Scotland to really idyllic, peaceful, you know, villages and um, in England. And it's, um, it was, I mean, one of those things is you, you rarely you get to actually visit your own country that much in such detail. And on the back of a horse, you know, it was just amazing to be able to see it in a way that people once did. But I've now, you know, seen the entirety, or well, at least that sort of line of John Goats to Land's End. And I, yeah, I wouldn't have been able to do that otherwise. Yeah, I guess there's a sort of an element of kind of psychogeography in, in mm. that way as well, kind of connecting to the like the ancient ley lines yeah. of, of the land and stuff and the stories that go before. It's, it's, it's quite astonishing. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, like, so with the big hoof, was that something that was preconceived um, before doing that trip, or was that then a product of of that first adventure? Yeah, I um, it was no, it was it was because of that ride down um, the UK. Um, it needed, I know, I needed to give it some kind of name so that I could sort of ask, um, I could create a you know just giving page and just call it something and. If, ever, if anyone ever asked me about it, I could at least say, "Well, this was, this is called the Big Hoof. Have you, you know, would you like to donate to this charity, etc." And so I just needed a name, and I, I just thought it would go the Big Hoof. And then uh, after the ride, it kind of it it, it kind of it, it was quite some. The press are using it a lot when they were talking about it, and and then I I, think I, was, I became you know I sort of thought, well, let's, if we've done this once, I think this would be a powerful thing to try and do again. For another charity, and then I called it, you know, it was another ride via the Big Hoof. And then it wasn't until July of this year when I um, we were given granted our charitable status. So now it is a, a Scottish registered charity, the Big Hoof. Um, but no, it stemmed from it stemmed from just needing to give it a name <laughs> to do that first ride, and and now it's. Um, become something a lot bigger than I ever expected. And you've got quite a broad mission statement as well, don't you, to to help those who need it most, um, which I find really interesting. And I'm just intrigued by, like, what's the fire that drives you, and how do you go about identifying the causes you want to support? Obviously, with that that initial ride, there was the story of your your friend. Um, but what what has that changed into? So we're, as a charity, our focus um, is on mental health, well-being, and 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 life-threatening illnesses, as Cystic Fibrosis Trust obviously is. Mm-hmm. Um, just by the nature of these rides and and getting people along and making it as accessible as we can, and whether that's through walking or running or cycling or or obviously other people riding, that obviously we we feel is, is a great abetterment for people's mental health. From the last ride, we had a, um, a guy who came after losing his mother, a, um, a very friend now, uh, Kiki Ho, who joined the last ride, joined because she lost her sister. Another guy lost his job. Another guy was moving from country to country and wanted something, a bit of a journey to get rid of something and, and learn something new. So the bottom line is obviously uh, we're promoting a, a, a connectivity in a, and our mission is one certainly of of community and mental health, basically at, at the core of it all. But we feel that we're able because it goes over land such 
big stretches of land and it, and it ties in so many people from different cultures. You know, we've gone over six different countries. We want to be able to be flexible enough to also help other charities and whatever cause that might be. So we've done um, the Turquoise Mountain Foundation, who are an incredible charity that help artisans and um, refugees in Afghanistan. And we, our most recent one was AMNA, we helped uh, the trauma of refugees in Ukraine. Um, and then obviously assisted by Brosis. Um, and then Kiki, she joined the Big Hoof to help raise money for Museum of the Mind, which is an amazing Dutch organization that destigmatizes um, mental divergencies. And so we tried to keep it, uh, you know, centralized around, around our message, which is of connectivity and mental health and just bringing everything back down to earth level um, through the power of the horse. But obviously, we through the, our ability to, to raise money, and we want to be able to, to you know keep on helping and giving awareness to charities that we feel at the time um, it would it would help best. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, you've touched on there with sort of the people that have got involved. Um, and another thing that it says on your website about suffering is an intrinsic part of what it is to be human, whole, and free. And we recognize this as an opportunity. Um, what does suffering mean to you? I think it's, it's something that connects us. Um, and I think it's something that people, going back to the idea you touched on really briefly, was this sort of slightly disconnected, egocentric kind of climate that exists, I think, quite prevalently in the world. Um, suffering is, and people suddenly think, I think, that um, suffering might not belong to them, or suffering is is unfair, and it and it's and it's and it's shouldn't be for me. It should be for them, or whatever. Um, but it's it's a it's a it is part of what it is to be human, and it is part of what it is to be happy and sound and and autonomous and and free. So it's really important that I think you know that it, we accept that, but also that um we face that as a as a reality together. No matter what background it is, you know, it's really just the thing that kind of that makes us connected in, in, in many ways. Um, so, yeah, for me, for me it's, it's something that we can therefore connect people with and, and it, it forms a huge part of, of everyone's life. So there's no, there's no denying that. I think the more, more people are open about it and, and understanding about it is it makes life a lot easier. And then you can, you know, then you can start raising money and, and, and promoting some form of community through that um, as, as, you know, as best possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's that kind of idea of being human, really. We're all yeah. kind of beautifully imperfect <laughs> individuals. And, and in order to connect to others and say, you're a human too, like it's about all the all the other stuff inside us that we can kind of try to almost disenfranchise ourselves from, I guess. Um, so, yeah, that's... Um, that makes a lot of sense. And so just moving on to your um, to your most recent ride, um, what were the kind of aims and thinking behind it? How did you go about preparing for it, choosing a route, all of that kind of thing? Yeah, well, in a, uh, on, I mean, on a personal level, they, they are, the rise up, you know, I, I, it's, it comes out of a place of me wanting to, 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 I mean, guess better myself to dig a bit deeper into what it is that I am, but also through that and through my ability to be able to do it through, you know, as I said, 
and there's nothing you know I've got I can I physically can do that um but I thought well that's you know that's it's a it's a that therefore it's it's an opportunity for, for me to do it. and I wanted to do it for for um a mental health charity um well for two UK mental health charities because of the the post-pandemic world was I think as everyone maybe had a, had a kind of a taste of is uh it was a very it feels and probably feels a little bit still like um a confined and rigid form of what it, what, what reality was before the pandemic and I, it really terrified me that these horizons that people once had they just didn't genuinely don't they genuinely think and thought they don't exist anymore you know it was travel or adventure or connectivity with people they don't know out of their comfort zone suddenly became something that actually could kill them. Mm. Um, you know, the idea of even now of some people going to the airport causes them so much anxiety, let alone getting to actually another country. So I wanted, and I think that through that, this, you know, adventure is really, is, is a huge um, focus and force of what the big hoof is and adventure being something, anything big or small, you know, miles three miles or a thousand miles of of doing something that you haven't perhaps done before and and trying to push yourself a little bit further just to see what that does and i wanted to show um on one level that if if a fool like me can do that <laughs> then anyone can do anything because i'm not you know I'm, I'm not a very good rider i'm not a very good you know walker i'm not very i've got an awful sense of direction um, and I don't speak three languages, you know. But you know, if it's if it's possible that that I could do that with a horse, then then it's possible for for someone who is or interested in whatever they might be to to go out and make that adventure for themselves as well. Then the Ukraine were invaded by Russia at the end of February, and that really shifted everything for me very dramatically. I I was set to do it for mental health charities, and then suddenly when that happened, I just thought how ridiculous it was that I was riding a horse away from the war you know, across the sunny hills and of France and, you know, the beautiful mountains, the Pyrenees and, and people were dying, you know, but, you know, it just didn't, for me, it just felt really wrong. So I, I was going to stop it and then, and then about to book a flight to Poland to help a, um, a charity out there set up by a, a, a kind of a mentor of mine. And then I called him saying, right, okay, I'm, you know, I've, I've actually decided to change plan. I'm going to come out and help him because that's, you know, um, and he, and he said, why are you doing that? I was like, well, you know, I need, that's what, you know, if I can volunteer, if I'm physically fit to do that, that's what I should be doing. Um, and he's like, well, what is that, is that, is that how, what's, what's your most useful thing that you think you can do? I was like, well, I, and without thinking, I said, I can ride. And then, I, and then he said, well, if you can ride, then make that the useful thing. If that's what you can do personally, then make that the useful thing. And so I thought you, that's actually, there's nothing, that there's nothing wrong with, 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 doing that ride because I can, I'm the one who can do that ride and, and then therefore maybe it, it needs to be done. So it's also after speaking with lots of um, refugees on the ride, meeting them in France and Spain and, and also having these lovely um, Instagram interviews with um, Ukrainian um, refugees but also Ukrainian uh, charity workers, um, they saw it and they themselves do um, lots of things like this, is, is they saw it as an act of liberty and if you know if someone is fighting if someone is an aggressor then they're obviously they're they're trying to they're trying to stop liberty they're trying to stop your freedom that you know they're coming into your country trying to change your life and um putting into their order so any act of liberty after that you know is kind of what people fight for and people in the world war died for is that people can be free um so it, it became very connected in, in in many ways um but obviously i started you know it's 
it was meant to be for mental health. But as I say, I think by publicizing it a bit and getting it out there, I did for some people it, it was it was a um, a journey that maybe inspired them in, in some ways to better to go out of their comfort zone a little bit. Um, so it was always you know mental health is always at the root of it and well-being. Um, but then I thought it very important to connect it with Ukraine. So I raised money for a charity called Amna. Uh, that that focuses on um, the trauma and psychological effects caused by um, their displacement. And I guess, as as we were saying about horses sort of being totemic in a way, I I suppose that the notion of freedom that your journey embodied um, is kind of like a bastion of hope as well for for the people that you've touched with it too. Um, That kind of idea of it being a symbol as well as a as well as a practical means of of raising money. Yeah, and it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a very peaceful animal, isn't it? You know, it's um, and it's uh, it's been with us. It's been you know by our by our, our side for thousands of years, and so it kind of it also is a, it's a it's a timeless image, isn't it? You know, the 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 person with the horse going from A to B, and it's I think it brings it it has a bit of relevance through countries and cultures, no matter who or where you are, and no matter what language you speak. It kind of brings everyone back down to kind of the same level, um, you know, with and 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 it cuts through any kind of differences that people might have or think they have, um, and it brings people together in a very central place, embodied by this this timeless animal. Am I, I'm also am I also right in thinking that like you suffered quite a lot of setbacks from the get go that were maybe far from peaceful? <laughs> um, and what were your what were your feelings at the time, and how did you maintain a positive mindset to to keep the show on the road, so to speak? Mm. Yeah, yeah. There are lots of moments when I thought, "Is this the world telling me to stop, or is this mm. the world telling me to fight a bit harder?" Um, and I'm glad I didn't stop, but I was, it's, yeah, I, uh, I think the positive mindset was, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's just a, a real determination, which probably comes out of like a competitiveness, not to be beaten by things that try and beat you. Um, you know, and, and positivity is a, is a, is a, is a, it's a hard word to try and align with it because it was it was very these moments were really dark and really difficult and very alone and again amongst the fact that I was being um, deceived by certain individuals when I was trying to find or thought I found a horse and funding in Italy um, before the ride um, I was also then questioning you know what that am I doing riding as I say when when I could be out volunteering why not, maybe this is the world telling me to go but so it was it was just a rigmarole of, of questioning and, and doubting, but then also at the bottom of it was just I just felt determination just to do it because I really felt and believed it needed to be done. Um, and by that point, the personal level had the personal reasoning had had, had gone. I was so had lost so much money and so much um, so much sense of like security that I, it wasn't for me. It certainly was. It was certainly not for me at all. I I, I lost it. You know, by that point, um, it was actually for the power I thought it could it could create. Um, and I thought you know it would be, be actually even more powerful um, for myself, but and for others if I if I just fight a little bit harder and, and, and keep on going, um, and because I I will you know, I think I'll feel more alive in it once I get there. Um, so yeah, it was, I think it was, a, 
yeah, there was a there was always a there was always an unbreakable kind of bottom line of like I'm not going to be beaten by this because I really believe that it needs to be done because if it's not done, then sure enough, then the the post pandemic the world that I in my head I I see is quite bad has has won. You know that world of not being able to do these these uh, you know you know unconventional trips or adventures. Yeah, you're right. Then they can't be done. Then, then that's it. And, you be, and then your whole philosophy has just gone to nothing. So, I um, I needed to do it just to prove to myself, I think, and and to others that you know, um, that these things can be done. I think it's um Rebecca Solner who uh, writes in the far away nearby. Like we need stories in order to live, and for that we need the storytellers as well. We can't just exist as these units. So. I kind of hear that just kind of popped into my mind as you were saying that, like that, and and telling a story doesn't need to be about you. It's also about a wider cause and how that story passes on. Um, so yeah, I think I think the telling of that story is 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 vital, and it's also the story of um, your relationship with another horse. Is that your horse Sasha, who who became the became the horse that replaced the horse that you were going to have? And so, what um, can you reflect on that relationship and how that grew over your journey together? Yeah, I found him um at the end of a of a sort of seven day drive up Italy seeing about nine different stables just asking anyone if anyone had a horse <laughs> kicking about I really was just at the end of my tether and he was it was the last stables I came to he was the last horse I saw and he reminded me of my pony Chunky that I had <laughs> back in Scotland he was really disobedient um really fast um and very strong and I thought this is this is perfect so um the five days later we we started the ride and uh a uh, a friend's mum of mine kindly uh, helped me transport him from a place just south of Milan all the way down to a house in Siena and I started from there and in um in with horses it's often said that with mares um, it's not you don't tell them what to do you have to have a discussion and they then decide if it's right or wrong for them um, and with geldings uh, so he wasn't a stallion he was a gelding it's a much more of a he looks to you to see what to do next and it was a very different relationship to the point where it felt I know obviously do not have one but it felt a little bit like you get a son because he was looking for you for every single thing that he was to do um, and naturally, you know, when a, when you when a, whole, a, a horse is with you, they you are the they you become the hurt, you become the constant. So you, they are very attached to you, or become very attached to you if they trust you, and if you you know open them up, open yourself up to allow them to trust you. Um, but what we were going through was again, as I was saying, something that I've never done. I've never gone over the Alps, walked over the Alps, um, let alone in April um, <laughs> when you're starting to be doing it a little bit later in the year. And he had just come, he was an, he's an Arab, so quite sort of thin-skinned and, and very elegant and long-legged and um, used, he's used for endurance, which isn't necessarily mountains, it's actually endurance racing is, uh, is flat. Um, so he can go for long amounts of time, but he's not used to these ups and downs. So, you know, I remember the first kind of mountains we went over, his eyes were like up <laughs> in the sky and his feet were down there and he was sort of yeah, getting all tripped up and cut with rocks and things. And obviously soon he learned to change and I learned to change and like I say because I was 
walking with him a lot as opposed to riding, especially over the Alps. It was just impossible to ride. And it also would have been silly because it would have just made him too tired. Um, we kind of learned and walked and experienced everything together. So we were just this sort of tandem companion machine going through the movements together. And I obviously was the responsible one, being the human, uh, and being the one that was leading him from A to B. Um, but that really made me have to really work at my horsemanship and, and, and actually what I was doing, where I was going, the real dangers about everywhere I was and maybe very, very aware. I had to learn very, very quickly um, on the knowledge that I had before. Um, and it's, um, yeah, it was, and then it became, yeah, an incredible kind of just, we were, you know, at the time we finished the Alps, we thought we could do anything because there was nothing that's going to be harder than that. And sure enough, there wasn't really. Um, and obviously the sun warming up and France becoming a bit, you know, flatter and things. Um, and then, yeah, we just became these two guys together walking along, walking across <laughs> Europe, you know, and we go to bars together, cafes and sit, sit in village squares and, um, and now he's got an extraordinary experience and sort of set of skills that no other horse in the world has. <laughs> he sounds very anthropomorphized at this, yeah. at this point. So that's a very good <laughs> I've got a really lovely kind of New Yorker cartoon sort of playing out in my head with the horse sat at the bar or something yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> going on. Um, and can you just talk about sort of maybe pick out um, a high and a low from the trip? Because there's, there's going to be loads of them, I think. But maybe mm. if you could single out a couple. Yeah, I think one of the highs is actually, <clears throat> it sounds awful, but when it, when it ended, there was a week. Um, I went, we, we didn't know, I didn't know what exactly what I was going to do with Sasha at the end. I mean, I kind of, in my heart, I wanted to bring him back to Scotland. And I thought that might not be very fair on him because, you know, he belongs in this, in these, in this wonderful continent and he, and, you know, that's where he's from and, but obviously I was going to keep him, but I just wanted to work out what to do. Anyway, a shepherd messaged the big hoof and said, uh, you know, do you remember me? You stayed with us. Would you like to come back? And, and I'll keep Sasha and Istia, my, my Kiki's, Kiki's horse, to go and join me towards the end. I'll keep those horses with me. And, it, it, and I went to stay with him for a week just to make sure Sasha was okay with not being fed every day, with not moving, and slowly got him adapted to this Pyrenean life. Um but that just completely so, um, proved the point of this amazing connectivity that I would never have got in any other way of life. That this guy who was a shepherd who I never would have met before opened himself up and said, "Yeah, I'd love you to come. Your horses, your horses, to come here, and I'll look after them in the Pyrenees." And suddenly, I had this really I had this amazing week with him, and now we have this really good friendship and going back out there soon. And and I know all his friends and. We, he's made lots of friends with people who are on the ride. I think that kind of stem, that sums up the greatest high, mm-hmm. which is like the Johnny Gross, the Land's End, and like anywhere, it's not about where you begin and where you start or how long it is at all. It's just opening up these worlds that you would spend your whole life never breaching and, and, and never being part of. And, and you yourself, meeting all these people from different backgrounds, completely different cultures, speaking different languages, you learn a little bit, I think, I learn a little bit from, from every single one of them just because they're different. And so you kind of have, your mind has to change and be adaptable. And, and then and then you're kind of, suddenly I've got these really obscure, extraordinary and lovely friends all the way through these three countries. And that is, for me, it's like one of the greatest privileges to have because I, I now have these wonderful people in my life um, and in my memories and, and, and maybe part of my future as well. Um, the lows would be... Um, 
I think anything, yeah, I mean, the two examples I'm thinking of are, um, are actually man-made things. Um, there's some horrible um, examples of, of industrialization in, in, in northern Spain, which is just really sad on, on these beautiful mountains. They're kind of covered in concrete tracks. Um, and that's just, it's just horrible because you've got such beautiful scenery there and then suddenly you've got this concrete world and it just, it's just really sad to ride upon because, again, because you're going at such a, with such a primitive animal and such a primitive pace, you really feel very connected to where you are. Um, and then also the towards the end, obviously, the fires in Europe were pretty scary. We were quite close to them. We were in Galicia and we finished on the 12th of July and they were getting closer and closer. Um other than that, there are obviously some very, very hairy moments on mountains and, and with um, just things that you would have to expect and be prepared for. But the um, the downside, I think, with anything is through travel, through on great sort of distances, is you you have a real taste of extraordinary natural beauty, and then you have a real um, understanding of 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 what we have done to it as well. And I think, um, so I, I sort of immersed myself in the diary section of your website as well. And you're, you're a beautiful writer, um, but for anyone um, who hasn't yet read it, it's like this um, gorgeous lyrical kind of collage of kind of thoughts, feelings, poetry, philosophy, and reflections as well. But the thing that I really got from it is there's this real intensity and anger that's running through it too about social inequality um, largely. And um, you've sort of touched on that there, but is that something that you could talk a little bit more about? Yeah, it's the the um, I think when you become very aware of the differences in people's lives um, and livelihoods, you know, by going through mountain regions, village regions, and then pretty um, wealthy regions, um, and it's not. It was I never had a, a you know. So there's no I have no thing against people having one person has more than the other because they yeah it's just different backgrounds just that's it's a kind of un- unfortunate kind of reality that that the world is is in but it was just for me that the the insatiable nature uh that um i've certainly experienced uh and and for sure being part of it in the uk of thinking you have to have this or that or that to make sure your world is complete um is so um it's almost humorous that it's just ridiculous when you see people who are so happy you know, in the poorest parts of the Ligurian mountains uh, or in these tiny villages um, in the Pyrenees and they have got nothing, uh, but they've got just the wealth of spirit and, and, and generosity through just their own being. is It's incredibly uplifting. Uh, and then it makes you just, I guess, yeah, angry and really concerned for why, um, why, why is it that we feel we need these material things to, to, to keep our world in place and balance but actually just talking to your neighbour um, or helping someone out with a little thing or, or I don't know, having a little pot, um, patch of a flower pot, anything. It's just creating something, doing something for yourself that is not in terms of, you know, not a, a physical thing you have to buy and uh, and and um, then buy more of, you know, just to keep it going. Um, it just, the whole, the contrast was just ridiculous, you know. And, and, and sure enough, the people who had very little were so much happier and wanted no more, you know. Um, they were, they were, most of the time they wanted a pretty good harvest, which, you know, who can blame them? <laughs> it's, their, it's their livelihood. Um, but other than that, they, they lived on very little. But they had each other. You know, they really had each other and they were really interlinked. And especially in the Ligurian Alps, where it's, it's, a, pretty, it's a pretty remote place. 
and even in the summer it's not some some crazy tourist hotspot mm-hmm. um and and because of the lay of the land the villages are kind of just put in into a little into a little valley and they're just there because they can only just be there and suddenly you've got to wait you know another 40 miles to the next one and 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 you're quite remote so it just again it was just this happiness that people had because they were interlinked through you know just through the little communities they had and it and it's a shoot it was just i was just maybe a little bit um i guess i don't know if embarrassed is the right word but you know you the uk is is, is on the whole is a, is a very well catered country and, and compared to lots of places that i've ridden through um and i think people from from backgrounds who are able to um could do a little bit more for for charity. Um, I mean, I know I'm very very lucky to come from a stable family, and and, um, and I you know hopefully can I can do anything I can to, to to use that privilege as an opportunity, you know, and to give back, and and at the same time obviously have a an adventure in doing so. But um, there's a lot of people I know <laughs> and uh, people you know come across who could do. Um, Perhaps a little bit more, uh, because I think it's a it's a collective thing that might that might be a, a good answer as opposed to one person doing lots and other person doing lots and another person doing nothing. You know, it's. But I think yeah, and in in a in a world where a lot needs to change quite quickly, um, it's uh, a collective consciousness is perhaps something that we need to yeah me maybe try and think about more. Absolutely. And that that ties in with a couple of other observations that I had that was also about, there's obviously the, the, the conflict that you're kind of observing with the inequality that you're seeing, but I also got a sense of some kind of inner conflict that was going on as well. And um, I don't know whether that's something that you've reached a reckoning with. Um, and then also the, there was a line that really struck me, which was time. This is a commodity that people do not give enough of, the most precious commodity of all. So um, I'm kind of interested in how you would advocate for people to be more generous with their time. So that's kind of two questions there for you. <laughs> yes. Um, <clears throat> I think it's, uh, I mean, it's it's a difficult one because obviously you it really depends on what you do for a living um and it, and in the the inner, the self the inner, inner conflict i had and the conflict i perhaps had with uh with my observations and where i've come from it was it wasn't it was always focused on in my head from people of of you know a, a middle class or some upper middle class backgrounds who who do have the opportunity to give a little bit more time um, and and those other people because they can they they have that opportunity so it's 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 um it's time that they, they could give and, and it's very easy to throw um money which is good because uh, you know the uk as i learned is, is very very generous in terms of giving to charity uh, in any crisis we, we are amazing as a country um but if you look at the, the work done by volunteers in the ukraine and 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 people who give more than just a few, you know, more, more than just a, a digits, you know, they give their actual time on a limit, which is the limited time they have on, on earth to, to something else. The difference it makes is massive because it creates a human touch. I've got a friend who's, who uh, is in the Ukraine. He's taken so three, four months out of work. He works in a bank and he's um, in the Ukraine now. And, and he's every day he's just blown away by, again, it's not the material stuff you're giving them. There is, there's always going to be, a huge sword, sword, um, 
huge swathes of of donations and, and material things that go into um, crises like these. Um, but he's been blown away by the the them being grateful just for his human presence there and his time. And it is the hardest thing to give, but it is, as a consequence, the greatest thing that we can give. So I think it's it's obviously only um, focused on people who can give that time because m- many, many, many people can't, obviously, they need to work and, um, and they're supporting very, very difficult lives and obviously the rising living costs are very difficult. But people who can, then I think there's, there's an option where they could do more. Um, what was your first question? Sorry. <laughs> oh, that was about your inner conflict, which I guess uh, yeah. kind of tight. Yeah. Comes so it's, yeah, it's half, I've half covered it, I guess. It's, um, it stems, I think, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, why do I deserve four working limbs and health and someone else doesn't? I mean, that's the kind of root of it all, really. You know, why, why am I born into this um, background and, and someone else isn't? And it makes, it's, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a waste of time to be angry about it and, confused about it because you're not going to get anywhere um because life is not a fair place nor was it ever designed to be i don't think um and that's how kind of we've come to be it's just through a, a an evolutionary kind of tale it's and it's fairness is something that i think is a human concept really but it's um through that obviously there is there is just a, a an underlying underlying thought of why me or not them or why they're not me you know it's, it doesn't add up so i see that though as, as well as it's being you know, frustrating um, and not making much sense. I see that as, as definitely an opportunity. If, if you know, if there's, if there's any branch of society that can give and try and work and give that 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 commodity of time, um, then it's got to be the one I'm in. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, there's 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 a lot of people who need a lot of help, and and you know, if you can give it, then I think then I think maybe there's a, a collective obligation to do so more so than people are doing. I would suggest, but. Um, Every everyone's situation is, is very different, so it's it's hard to to try and, and um, you know generalize any any of this. Um, but for me, my conflict is that is why me, not them. And therefore, okay, what are you going to do about the cards that you've been given? You know, mm-hmm. and I would like to do something you know constructive, obviously in my own life for myself. But also, there's no reason why that can't involve um, causes that need help because I can do that. You know, that's that's. And I can do that. So. And I guess writing in itself, although it is something that is old as time, um, can have a perception of being being quite an elitist activity. Um, do you think there's anything that can be done to to deconstruct that notion and how to make it more accessible for people too? Um, I mean, we've discussed the the myriad of benefits to people's mental health as mm. well that it can bring. Yeah, it was one of the reasons why I, I wanted to do a long ride um, down the UK and not anywhere else. Is because I wanted to show that it's not a a, a sport for for people who own stables and, and and arenas and and who compete and have all the right kits. You know, I had all the wrong kits. I had this really lovely but pretty basic Highlands pony. You know, it's all and and going through places that weren't you know there weren't bridle paths or you know they were just across this country. Um, and it's elitist, perhaps the perception of it is certainly the elitist one in the UK because of the way that people domesticate them. If you have a horse just wild field, which you ride occasionally and, and keep it well fed and watered and sheltered, etc., obviously with a you know, then that's a very, very different thing to having one in the perfect stables and looking at it every day and you know, keeping it 
because that's expensive. It's very expensive and therefore completely unreachable, unreachable for many people. In Europe, however, the the attitude to horses is very, very different. You know, the every farmer to 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 um, to um, yeah, I mean, everyone has one in such a different way, and it's really not associated with with a, a, a an animal for people who can afford it at all. Um, and they've got a much more real, real and realistic attitude towards riding and and horses. And, and it's yeah, I spent a lot of time in the south of Spain working on a on a um, on a, a horse um, far estate there, and just it's amazing how everyone just has a horse. You know, it's, you ride into the village, you ride out. It's just a, it just it's an easy, it's a cheaper thing, it's a cheaper version of a car. You know, it's brilliant, and it's it's a very real living way to to kind of access a horse. And because of the benefits that they do bring, um, you know, in very in very important ways, this idea of it just being for a certain group or, or for a certain use is needs to be kind of completely taken away because um, they are for everyone and can help everyone in in many many different ways. Um, and they are not; they do not cost the earth at all. You know, they 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 like anything they cost to buy, but actually, if you treat them in a way that isn't, you know, keeping them in a pristine stable and whatever, and actually keeping them in a little bit more of a natural habitat to them, um, then then you're going to get a lot out of a horse as well. Um, and just trusting that actually a horse is, can cope with a bit of wind and rain because that's, also, you know, that's where they came from. Obviously, it depends on the breed. Um, but I like, I like seeing a horse being as natural and in its natural state as possible, hence... You know, a long ride is is it is it's it's an instinctive way for a horse to be travelling, mm-hmm. as is a human. And being out in the rain, you know, is good for both of us in many ways because you get used to it, and then you can overcome that. And it's you know, it's not something you need to pay for or, or you know, or um, shy away from. It's just embracing and digging deeper into a kind of more of a natural state. So it's it's a difficult thing for UK because it's um we, there's a lack of space is a big issue and obviously the way that we perceive horses is uh, one of a sort of elitist way but uh, in in a, in a broader sense the rest of the world i'd say it's, it's actually not that case at all which is which is a good one a better mentality to have i think absolutely and that um stripping things back to, to kind of pure movement really um mm-hmm. kind of links to something that we touched on earlier about the word pilgrim and i was wondering what your relationship is with that word and whether you consider yourself to be a pilgrim of sorts <laughs> yeah a um, pilgrim yeah so um i guess in many ways the ride was a pilgrimage you know it was a a journey for a cause and it's um i felt uh, I, I certainly felt on the first ride that we were watched over by um or definitely my my friend leo who who died of of um of cystic fibrosis but you're also kind of watched over by this kind of communal spirit of 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 hope and and and, and the kind of um a kind of sense of of a, a living sense of of adventure so it's um Europe is full of pilgrimage routes, so we're part of that. I would say a kind of a. I mean, I personally am. Uh, yeah, I do. I do believe in God, but I, I wouldn't say that that had an association particularly with why I did the ride. Um, you know, on a personal level, I, I, I certainly felt um, that it was a very strong spiritual thing to do um, because you're, you know, many occasions it's, you're pretty close to like 
you know, we were quite close to dying at some point, and then you, and you don't, and then you and you think and you feel very alive as a consequence, and um, and also that's it's so moving being witness to people who are coming on a on a journey for their own personal loss or they you know a real spiritual hardship they've they've faced, and it's really moving being part of them, say going through this pilgrimage, their own personal pilgrimage, and 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 coming off better from it. Um, so I was part of it, and I was part of a pilgrimage, I guess. Yeah, and also a my personal pilgrimage was like I, like I was saying earlier that inner conflict, which I will never probably rid myself of. Um, but <laughs> also, um, uh, and also proving to proving that it, that this journey can be done, um, and journeys like this can be done for other people and for causes. That's kind of the pilgrimage, the you know the never ending one. I think um, that I'm trying to do um but it was also yeah, deeply moving to be to be part of you know we went through Lourdes and um southwest of france we went through santiago de compostela which is of course the end of the camino de santiago a very very famous um pilgrimage and there are lots of people doing it for um, religious reasons which was really cool to, to witness and but whatever reason they did it, did it for i think everyone was a pilgrim in, in their own way who who make any kind of journey um and it's and it's yeah whatever reason is is theirs make, makes it you know is what they're they're striving for. So yeah, a pilgrimage yeah certainly one of one of sorts one of many words I would use to describe the journey. Yeah, and I guess the pilgrimage is about um, learning and growth. And do you think kind of what you've just covered was that the sort of biggest personal growth that you had that realization of what could be done? Yeah, I mean, I, at the end of the ride, I kind of knew less about myself and less about the world than ever before. Really. So <laughs> it's, it was growth in many, growth in kind of, okay, well, you know, I now know that a horse can cross the Alps in April. Um, I wouldn't probably suggest it to everyone, but if you're, if you're up to the task, <laughs> then do. Um, but uh, I think also a growth in the knowledge that more needs to be done and I need to, this needs to keep going. You know, I've got a lot, a lot of, because of the, the, the effect that I did see it have on, on people, the positive effect, but then also seeing that inequality of, of um, the inequality that that I observed between people with nothing and people with lots, it was an understanding that a lot more, I need to be a bit more vocal about this and a bit more vocal about the experiences that I had. Um, but I mean, the month, it was only, it's only now really that I can start kind of really piecing together what it really, it all meant to me because uh, when I came back, I said the worst void. Um, it was awful, a horrible month um, in July, uh, so August. Um, and then it's only now I'm starting to kind of retrace the, the diaries and, and start writing a book about it that I can start kind of realizing what, I, what, it, what it taught me. And, and then also the lovely thing is being contacted by people who, or meeting people who it might have um, had an impression on in any way. And, and that makes it, it makes it, you know, makes you feel really good because um, it's not just you and never, obviously the intention is never, never meant to be my personal gain really. It's, it's meant to be a vehicle for other people to gain something out of. And, um, and that is a really great thing because it's so, it sends a message to me at least that, okay, it does have a positive effect on lots of people. So therefore keep going, but just, you know, make it as accessible as possible. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think quite know how, in 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 sort of in in terms of being able to word it, what the growth is being in me, I think yes, it's too early for me to say. I would suggest, um, but I guess obviously the 
the experiences in the physical way has obviously taught me a lot more about horse care and other cultures and um and it's certainly broadened my mind seeing things um from different people from different walks of life and which is a very very useful thing I've, i find for myself so um but again on, on a kind of really really personal level I, I think it'd be hard to say at this point but it will be there i think it's just still sort of trying to emerge somehow and you mentioned uh, a few names of people such as Kiki who came on board with the journey. What were what was the involvement of other people? What did that mean to you? They you often get so before the rides, well before this one and before the last couple, lots of people mentioned how they want to join and they'd obviously pass it and and at no point have I ever said no because the for me, I, I really, it's meant to be for, for anyone who needs it, you know, anyone who wants it for any personal reason, whatever that might be. So when she contacted, um, it just felt so right that she did. I'd never met her before, but, um, um, you know, having gone through such a, an awful thing like losing your only sibling and your her sister, it was, you know, like, well, this is exactly what the big hoof is for. It's for people who really need it. And, uh, and it was, it, I learned a lot um, through seeing her change, through seeing her being having a very dark, dim view of life and having a very, um, um, with no particular horizons. And then slowly um, her mind, you know, brightened and she started, you know, questioning things. And there was anger, obviously, a lot of anger, and she questioned things and then, you know, taking. Um, the make out of me, which was good, and then, and then, and then, and then, start to sort of make plans and thoughts about the future. And it was just amazing to see this person go through that change. And I had another friend who lost his mum, and, and they kind of then they spoke about their loss together and how they were both coping. And then a friend who was having a horrible time uh, work, and and then many people who joined who I, who I didn't know as well who who came from those countries and, and it was, it's exactly why I, what I had envisaged. And so I was really grateful that it, that it came to, to be like that. And the only mission now is to make it as accessible as possible going forward. Um, uh, so that people can join for whatever reason, um, because that's what it's for. And, 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 and like, you know, we've been saying, not everybody can, you know, just ride for, uh, two three months and I can because it's you know managed to create a very um, good sort of sponsorship kind of commitment from brands and so and so because of because of the rides I've done so therefore I can do it and and I don't um, you know I don't um, it's it, it's possible so I need to I need to try and share, share that is what is what it's for so fortunately yeah I was lucky enough for them to come and and I learned so much through their their overcoming their their issues as well. It sounds like a real message of hope as well. There are a lot of hard things in the world and a lot of cruelty. Um, and the sort of connection between you was that that those can be overcome, or at least you can start looking forwards towards something. Um, you're moving forwards and you're looking forwards, I guess. <laughs> um, and I'm wondering kind of, since you you said that you had a bit of a dark spell when you returned, but what are your plans now, both personally and for the big hoof? Um, so yeah, so it's now concentrating on the book, 
getting that um, done is a very difficult process. I mean, I, I've got really, really, really bad memory. I mean, awful. So I, I wrote, as a consequence, I wrote everything down every single day. So I've got five sort of tomes of diaries scribbled. Um, so it's deciphering them, getting them into a book that again can hopefully add to the, a message of, if I can do it, I promise you, you know, you can do whatever it is that you think you can't, um, big and small. Um, and then obviously share the, the highs and, and the lows in, in the best way I can. And then um, now that we are, you know, nicely set up as a charity, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's firming up and, and sharing our, our, our message and of one that is focusing on other charities, mental health, you know, well-being and, and life-threatening illnesses. So make, maintaining a, a real fundraising, um, um, a fundraising requirement. So we've got, you know, events coming up in, 2023, um, all based around, uh, so we've got, you know, Burns Night Supper and a, um, two more rides and trying to fundraise for causes that we think are, are relevant and we might be doing something in Ukraine in January, still to find out about that. Um, and then uh, and then the next trip would, would, would be one that is, um, I'd like to pick up, pick up where we left off. So Sasha is now in the Pyrenees and, and uh, we might be riding from uh, the Pyrenees to Romania. That's the next kind of idea at the moment. But it's uh, it's quite fun because lots you know you talk to people and people give you ideas and you sort of work out what's appropriate and, and not. And um, so we're, we're trying to sort of um, create a uh, link with with some orphanages out in Ukraine and, and um, some causes that really need some financial support and awareness uh, through their kind of the adventure of. of ride so it's um and then raise money for them i think using the ride that we just did as as much as possible for a basis of uh to inspire young people perhaps to think about it think about what they can do with with certain privilege or what they can do to aspire to to use their time is and that's what i really want to use as well and i'm doing a few talks at um schools and uh obviously thank you know with very generous kind people like you i can be vocal about it as well and um and share that, that just share an alternative way to do things because i think um you know it's, it, i would never have thought this was possible if i was 18 you know and and, and actually i'm you know i'm you know, i'm certainly not going to make lots of money out of it but i'm going to survive you know and it's uh and that makes me very happy because i'm i'm living like you know i'm living like don quixote you know it's brilliant <laughs> but it's like a it's like a teenager's dream but um but uh, at the same time uh being telling doing something that I really care about. Um, so yeah, and then and then the ride was made was filmed. Half of it, we had a, a crew came out fifty percent of the time, and I had this handy cam fifty percent of the time. So the film is being edited as we speak. So we'll see what goes from from there as well. Um, and in this in this increasingly difficult world to ride in uh, on a kind of on an equine basis. Uh, making the routes that I made as accessible as possible to other people who want to ride and walk and run and, and whatever. So the ride that I just did is Siena to Cape Finisterre and uh, you know, it's never been done in its entirety by horseback, on horseback, uh, but now it can be. And now that route is available on our website and a sort of an eight-step guide on how to do it is there as well. And um, So continuing to, to, to just open it up and open up this kind of primitive and green way to travel and, and, and have an adventure 
and have a lot of fun, but also do it in a way that's a bit more considerate perhaps about where we are, where we've come from and, and what's around us. That's all so, so exciting. Um, might have to talk to you afterwards about the running aspect of that as well. <laughs> but yeah, totally inspiring. And I just have two more two more questions for you. Yeah. So you are, as I just said, clearly a very inspiring individual. And I wonder who inspires you? Um, so I mentioned him for just for a brief second, but um, the, only, <laughs> the only evidence I had that... Um, uh, rides could be done was through reading um, Don Quixote um, and uh, it's um, what inspires me most about that is is just is the, the idea that it's um, his book is the book is obviously a piece of fiction it's not real um, but the way it's written obviously it's, it, it leads the reader to, to think it is um, and it's the mentality that's all, all the all the real the, the, the real realization that you know that book has made I'm sure lots of people do quite adventurous things and so therefore that book is real you know I find that really a really interesting kind of message that therefore that dream that the writer had has become a reality people are doing things like Don Quixote because they believe they can and they believe that you know the world's and as to quote maddest of all um, is to see life as it is and not as it should be. Um, and I think that's kind of message for me has just completely, uh, completely brainwashed me. And I'm completely sold that, you know, the, the world, if you fight and believe in a world better than the one you have, then, then, you, then why ever stop? Because it will happen. And, and in the same way with this ride, it was so many places and times and opportunities for it to not happen. Um, and I believed in this really... Um, big adventure that was going to go across countries that was going to be difficult that was going to involve a horse and lots of trials and I believe that we could raise money for it and we did it and and I really think if with that um with that um having him as this idol for me <laughs> and it, it, it encompasses just believing in in the impossible a little bit um and naturally the big who've all stemmed from the death of my friend Leo and he lived life uh, to the absolute full, uh, you know, he was only twenty six, and 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 he knew uh, with cystic fibrosis sufferers, they all know. Obviously, the the timeline is a little bit short; is a lot shorter than than, than people without CF. And um, but that didn't change the way he lived at all. He, and he didn't live recklessly, 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 like knowing that his time was very short. You know, being hedonistic about it, he lived really consciously um, with a lot of love, a lot of generosity to others in spirit. And he was going to die young, you know, he didn't, you know, about anyone in the world, he was the guy that you, you know, you'd sort of allow to be hedonistic and whatever, but um, he didn't. And I think, you know, it's, he's a big inspiration because um, like I say, I, I don't have any underlying illnesses. I'm, I'm not in a, in a way, in any shape or form, you know, unwell right now. So it's, it's tough. So whilst I have some health and trying to use that for these adventures to make them happen, and to hopefully make them accessible to other people who, who need a bit of adventure or an escape or whatever it is in their life, um, or just for a bit of fun. Uh, yeah, trying to do that. But yeah, Don Quixote, number one, number one fan. <laughs> 
I think you've brought me close to it a few times in this interview, but that's definitely um, really touched me. Thank you for thank you for sharing that. Um, and I'll move I'll move on to my final question. With that, is what what does joy mean to you? Oh my goodness, joy, 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 joy. It's the toughest um, question, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm certainly happiest when I'm on these rides. I remember finishing the Johnny Goat Slam's end and, and I could see these people in the distance on Land's end. And I just cried so much because I just thought I just can't end this this amazing thing of 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 just living so full and having moments and and not knowing where you're going to sleep and not knowing who you're going to meet next, not knowing when you're going to wake up. Um, and then the unexpected for me is joy. The discomfort is joy. The burrowing into yourself, that's joy. And, and just finding out what you are as a human being. Um, discovery, curiosity. Um, and, um, and just being impacted, I think, by other people. And um, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's just the, un, just the, the anything that's not known to me yet. <laughs> it's joy, you know, it's just like, a, it's, it's the... It's the unknown step. Um, I find a lot of excitement in that. I get very itchy feet when I've been in a place for too long, which is why it's good that I keep on moving on a horse because you're never still. Um, probably some undiagnosed ADHD something is there as well. Um, but um, I am, um, yeah. That's yeah. I joy is just the just the, the curiosity. Uh, you know, that for me that's joy, the curiosity. But um, yeah, the the the, uh, the extraordinary people you meet and their extraordinary lives that you're allowed to become part of uh, by by meeting um, strangers or at least opening yourself up to meeting strangers that gives me a lot of happiness. And that's taking a step into the unknown as well, isn't it? Really, it's um, yeah. it's being vulnerable and 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 allowing yourself to meet people and discover who they are. I think that's really sure. beautiful. <laughs> and if people want to follow your journey, this is the kind of practical but necessary part. Um, mm. Where can where are the best places to reach you? Yeah. So, so yesterday we updated our website, which was um, exciting. <laughs> the first one. Yeah. So the, the, for those who of anyone who, who saw the first one it was completely made by, by me and not very professional but I've got some help from a very clever friend of mine and um, so the www.thebighoof.com is where you'll see our rides our, um, our impact our calendar of rides to come and some journals and some guides to, to give some insight into anyone who wants to, to do the rides that I have done use those routes um, and we have uh our social media page um, Instagram is at the big hoof Facebook at the big hoof um, and our contact details are on the website thebighoof.com there um, and unfortunately the, the nice um, you mentioned kindly the uh, the the, um, the chapters that I put up on the last website I've had to they, they still exist I've had to take them down because I'm writing a book about it so I don't want to give too much away um, but, um, but we are uh, but yeah, that 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 will obviously help with giving some people a bit more of a connection. The book and um, and a children's book, which we're going to try and start doing soon, um, through that amazing artwork that um, this artist Molly Beardle did for um, for us uh, with those chapters. But yeah, the, our website is there, and our social media, uh, the Big Hoof, and everyone and anyone is welcome to any of the rides that we do. Um, 
Uh, and I know it sounds ridiculous. Why, you know, how can you possibly ride across the Gurian Alps? You, but if you come for three days, it will be worthwhile. Um, and I'm sure, you know, take a long weekend and help us raise some money, have an adventure yourself, get to know Sasha and explore uh, another obscure part of the world that you will never have perhaps gone to before. And even if you have, revisit it. But I promise you the, the, the pace and rhythm of the journey and, and meeting people and meeting experiences you haven't done before is it's a very, very um, satisfying thing. And you'll come away not regretting it. Um, and it'd be lovely to, yeah, to have anyone walking, riding, running um, to be part of, of, of the journey because, um, you know, once you're part of the, once you've, once you've done this once, I think you might lead to other things uh, as well as it has done for anyone who's, anyone I know who's joined any of our rides. Um, so yeah, it's very open to everyone. Well, that's certainly an invitation that I, I doubt many people would <laughs> want to turn down. And I hope my um, I hope my mentioning your glorious blog post isn't a spoiler for the book. But I'm very excited no. for that to for that to come out. And the the artwork is beautiful too. So when people when people can buy that, I'll be sure to signpost it. Exactly. So thank you so much, Louis. You are a beautiful storyteller, and um, I'm so grateful to have been able to to have this conversation and to share this space kind of create recreating some of those stories today so thank you no thank you it's, it's um yeah we've uh yeah it's been lovely to be able to, to to go back to it but also to really rethink it and work it all out again every time i you know talk about it it, it, it goes from it, it starts to make more and more sense you know after i've finished but you yeah thank you very much for having me it's been lovely and uh you definitely have to come on the you know, one of our on one of our rides oh you're absolutely probably be fast, you're probably be faster than us though so that <laughs> <would be okay>. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> i'll talk to you about that in a sec but for now thank yeah. you so much um and good luck with everything <laughs> thank you very much having me I'm so grateful to the community that is growing around the podcast and if you've enjoyed today's episode I would so appreciate if you can share it with your communities and help spread the message of support, perseverance and joy further. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests you can find me on Instagram at running underscore on underscore joy. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time for Running on Joy.